Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Muppet. Yeah! <laughs> the Michael Podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? Oh. Let me start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Matt Moore of the Action Network, and we do our pre-playoff tiers. And Matt will go through the criteria at the very beginning of the pod, um, really clarifying conversation as many of these are for me. I hope you really enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I always love doing these. As is commonplace, I I, I let you, and I enjoy this, I let you choose the criteria, and you chose a a really good one. I thought that this was a a useful exercise, and also since there are, I guess, technically 19 teams, because one was eliminated on Tuesday, uh, we have fewer teams to work through, so I'll let you explain the criteria to listeners. Yeah, so we're looking for matchup proof. So in the playoffs, nobody's fully matchup proof, I don't think. I don't think anybody can can actually... um, I think there's always a bad matchup for you and ones that you can survive, but how matchup proof are you? A lot of that is like, is there, are there certain type of teams that you are just completely helpless against? Are there certain types of teams that you struggle against or, you know, how close to, no, we're pretty good against everyone. Are you? And I think that's a, a big determinant of playoff success. Yeah. And I kind of thought about this, you know, you, you can sort of split out offense and defense. And, and one of the two ways that I kind of think about it are versatility, malleability, whichever way you want to describe it, and strength of strength. So basically, how many different things can you do? And or can you do something so well that even a team well situated can't do very much against it? So those are kind of the, the two arcs. So, I mean, if, if you wanted to go to the extreme, it could be like, maybe like if you think about one of the best post-up picks, maybe there's a big who's so good or that high pick and roll that various teams run that even if the other team has the perfect scheme or has really good personnel they'll slow it down but they won't stop it so like you'll be able to do what you want to do even if it's less effective and versatility malleability i think is generally more reliable because you can you can sort of bet on it i think miami's success last year defensively is an interesting example there of how that can work though it doesn't always work as well as it did for the heat in that circumstance. So uh, I, I think for, uh, did, is that kind of in any way how you thought about it? Yeah, that's definitely how I thought about it. I thought, you know, the, the malleability thing is, is a really key component of that. Yeah. And I think that that sets itself up pretty well for my first tier and my first tier were more, I would say they were more versatile than dominant. I value that more. I think that it's, it's, I feel more confident that versatile teams will be able to do it. And it's an interesting group because I'm not saying they're the three best playoff teams, but for me, it's the Nets, the Lakers and the Heat. Interesting. Give me the argument for the Nets. 
So the argument for the offensively, it's hard to put out all the fires they can create. I mean, I think that the argument there is is pretty straightforward. Not only that, but they have dominant isolation scores. They have isolation scores that have been really good against elite competition. You know, Kevin Durant can get buckets pretty much whoever's on him. Harden generally does a very good job. Kyrie has had some amazing moments there. But also the interplay between those players. Now, if even if you have one, like let's say the team they might play in the second round, you have one perimeter stopper in Drew Holiday. Well, okay, you're putting Drew Holiday on one guy. How you, how are you going to handle all the rest? And so I think that offensively the argument's pretty easy. Defensively, it's sort of a weird reflexive one, which is they're not amazing at any one thing defensively, but they can do a lot of different things reasonably well. Like not not you know well by the standards of like a great team, but if playing a switch scheme isn't working against that opponent, you can play a drop coverage with some of the guys they have. And some of that is is, is about personnel. And now, will Steve Nash and the coaching staff be able to push the right buds at the right time? I'm not totally confident of that. And in a normal season, I probably wouldn't have the Nets tier one, but there aren't many great teams that fit this description. How, how about, do you agree with that assessment? I have a hard time because I think the Nets are maybe a little bit more vulnerable to certain matchups. I think specifically physicality, I think is going to be a challenge for them. If you're able to switch everything, I think they're going to struggle a little bit with how that plays together. Um, when you look at just they have a lot of switchability they've built themselves with a lot of switchability they have some versatility but i think if, if you play a team that's really physical and is able to switch everything much the way that houston did i think that can cause them problems because they're so built on forcing you into positions where you have to bring help and then punishing you for it because of the amount of firepower that they bring like they can certainly score one-on-one and that's large part like what makes them so dangerous but i do think that if you're able to bring physicality to the matchup and switch everything or throw out a zone I think you're going to have, you know, I, I think that they might be have some issues with that. Plus, just athleticism. It's one reason I'm really curious if we do get Bucks Nets in the second round, which isn't guaranteed. But if we get Bucks Nets in the second round, I'm really curious about that. It was a bad regular season matchup. And obviously, regular season, you know, the Nets did not invest the way that other teams do in terms of um, how much they really gave in those in those matchups. But I am curious about, like, can they produce enough physicality to kind of slow down Giannis? Because that's been a big part of the success of the Raptors and the heat in doing so is they built a wall. And I, I have some curiosity as to whether the nets are really well built to do that. And if they, even if they struggle with the net bucks, but get by them, it presents the same kind of problems when you face LeBron with that point forward athleticism at the point of attack. I think they're built for, you know, skill matchups. Absolutely. But what's interesting is they're facing more bruising types of opponents in these Eastern conference side of the bracket. And so uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see that I have them as a tier two, um, actually, I'm sorry, tier three, Based off of that, plus the fact that um, I do think that like offensively they do what they do, but they I, I think that offensively they I don't know how they really punish teams for various matchups either. It's like they just kind of do what they do, right? It's just like Kyrie and and Harden and KD just kind of do their stuff. And they force you to hell because they're so good one on one, and then and they punish you for that. But if you have the ability, you know, to counter that at some level, or if you're willing to live with one guy going off and, and contain the others, I think you can have more success. So I, I am not as high on the Nets' malleability. They can switch with Claxton, but this is what's kind of interesting: is like they can switch with Claxton, but they can't really handle physicality because Claxton's too small. Um, I think the KD lineups at five. There's about the, the data on that's been pretty bad. And I don't think KD wants to do that the Jeff Green lineups in five those haven't been very good 
it's really been like DeAndre Jordan in drop coverage or Claxton on switch. And it's good to be able to tailor those, which is why I think they're higher. I think I'm going to move them up into tier two, but I do think that they're maybe not invulnerable as much as the other teams that I have at the top. You had the top, you had the Lakers, the Nets, and, and what was your third? Miami. Miami. Mostly due to their defensive first. I mean, they're the most defensively versatile team in the playoffs. So uh, this is going to kind of surprise you. I have two teams at the top for my my top tier, and it's the Lakers. I think we both agree just on their like physicality. They do have they can put AD at five. They can play small ball. They can stretch the floor with AD at five. They don't right like they they don't do that and, and probably enough because AD doesn't want to, and that causes issues. Well, I would clarify but, they don't knowledge. they don't in the regular season. We'll see what Vogel wants to do in the playoffs. Yeah, I think even then, like in the like, I don't view that as like they're high. They're saving it. Oh, I agree. Right? I don't. I don't think it's a secret weapon like like Kerr with the the death line F was, where it was like he just wanted to play it only when he needed to, and then be able to destroy teams with it. I really genuinely think that AD hates it. Like I just think he hates playing five, and he only plays it if he's really asked to do it, and only then there's got to be like a real good reason, and he can't be faced with like. If AD is going to play the five, it's going to be like, you can beat up on this guy at five. Like they're playing small so we can play small rather than we're going to go small to make them play small because AD just doesn't want to handle the physicality. But their overall like athleticism, their size, you know, the simplicity of, of just like LeBron running LeBron stuff with AD and dominating the way that they do. Um, I kind of agree that they're, they're the most matchup proof. It's hard to get them out of what they do. Like that's, that's maybe the most impressive thing about them is that you can't really make them stop being the Lakers. Right. The Lakers almost never look out of their comfort zone. Right. And well, Uh, I, they can't, I don't think they can run a ton of different like schemes defensively. They can go smaller, but, but NAD can switch, but their smalls. Yeah. Well, it depends. I guess Schroeder isn't great at it, but some of the other guys can, but they don't have to as much because they're good. You're, they're not, you're not going to torch them in their base alignments. And so that, that's kind of the, the strength idea for them. So who's your other team? I'm very interested in this. It's Phoenix. I'm totally fine with that. I have them tier two and I considered having them tier one. Uh, the thing, so how, so I think the reason that held me back, and I think this would be a more interesting point of discussion, I'm, I'm on board offensively. I think having two different creators, having a couple different concepts of how they do things. I love a lot of what Monty Williams has done offensively. I don't, they have a lot of defenders I like. I don't know how many different things they can do. So the data kind of says that there's like quite a lot that they can do. Interesting. Um, they have the capacity to to do a lot of different things, and just in terms of what the second spectrum stuff says about how many different schemes they run. The big thing, honestly, is the Dario Saric of five lineups. Like that's a lot of it. Is th- when they were thriving mid season before the late season kind of slowdown, they were crushing it with Saric at five. So they would beat you up for like 35 minutes with Aiton at the five, and then the remaining 13. They would hit you with the Saric small ball lineup, switch everything, and it was really difficult. Um, especially the lineup that's CP3, Booker, Crowder, Saric, and Bridges. Like that that lineup, you can just switch everything. You can run zone, you can run a little bit of matchup zone. They're not that you can run uh, drop with Aiden. Like if if the situation calls for you to run drop, which I honestly think they should probably do versus the Lakers. Like that's what they should do is they should like Aiden, I think is more playable in that series than he's going to be in others. If they were to get there, you know? Um, And so just run drop, like make LeBron take mid range jump shots and beat you that way. The entire, like just be like, like, Hey, you're not going to get any open threes. (laughs) And, 
we're gonna you know we're gonna make Anthony Davis shoot pick and pop threes and you shoot mid range jump shots. Good luck. Like that's that's like the best approach honestly to take on James. And so I like that component of it. Um, offensively, they can run like the the fact that Campaign and Cam Johnson have played so well this year. They can get out in transition. They can play a little faster. They can you know spread the floor. The, there's just like a lot that they can do. I think Phoenix is one of the most versatile teams in a league. I think that they're probably going out in the first round because they're very likely, depending on what happens tonight. We're recording this on on Wednesday. Depending on what happens tonight, they're going to face the number one team. <laughs> but you know if the if the Suns lose i think it's going to be because of either shooting performance or the inexperience of booker Aiton, and bridges in these key moments and being able to handle the intensity and get their games to the level they need to rather than a matchup issue where right. i'm monty williams who i think has like it's been weird what he's done because like we've seen a lot of frank kaminsky in the last couple of weeks just like a lot of frank kaminsky and i think kaminsky's done a great job of filling in this season he's a very good regular season center it's not an insult like you genuinely need guys that can do what he can do yeah you need you need he cannot be played i think some people underappreciate that yeah yeah and and the only problem is like he is definitely a, a 82 game player not a 16 because he is absolutely a guy that that guys the teams will p- target and pick on he is the one guy i think in coverage that teams are going to be like we're going to attack this like this is who we're going to attack um if they go to just sorry to small ball and eight in the rest of the time i like their chances quite a bit versus anybody except the lakers if they don't then i think monty williams can um, convince himself that that kaminsky is better than he is and, and they're going to run into trouble so i i do like the suns though as, as the only other team at the top of my tiers list for uh, playoff invulnerability. Yeah, totally sound. I, I like having two dynamic guards just because most teams don't have the personnel. Like that, that personnel is an inter- you know opposing personnel is an interesting point here, and there just aren't that many that have two good defensive guards. You could what, you could bring up various Suns potential opponents and Phoenix. Whether it's the Lakers losing on Wednesday or not being quite right, or I mean, even like the Suns would have a decent chance in that series. Like I think I would pick the Lakers to win it, but it would be. I think the Suns have a respectable chance. If they make it out of that, they have a very good chance of making the conference finals. Like I think they they would be they would be favorite to me, you know, knowing what we know right now against either the Nuggets or the Blazers. Now maybe one of those teams impresses me and looks better, but I see that. And then conference finals, who the hell knows? I mean, we'll let's see, we'll see what gets there. But Phoenix, I, I, it's going to be so interesting because the ramp up is going to be immediate or next year. You know, like that, that's just, those are kind of the two speeds. And that's the anomalous nature of having potentially the most dangerous team in the entire playoffs, potentially being the seventh seed. Yeah. Uh, and it's a shame that, that Phoenix had such a great season and got stuck there. They could have, they could have won their way out of it. Had they won the Golden State game or, you know, just had a few more wins along the way. But uh, it is a shame that what I think has been a really good year for the Suns looks like it's likely to end uh, in the second round. But, so, you know, look, maybe, maybe the, maybe the, uh, um, the Lakers don't end up as the, as the seven seed. It's the Warriors. Maybe that's a better matchup. I think it's still tough, but um, I do think it's weird that everyone's kind of saying like the Suns are the team that you, you want to go after. Because I, I look at them and I'm like, look, if, if unless they've just completely melted and lost everything that made them good for most of the season defensively, this team has a lot of veteran guys that can get the job done. They're well coached. They have shooting. There's just not a lot of weak spots on the team. 
Uh, what's your second tier? So my second tier, I called it one way versatility. So it's like where I believe in it. I believe in it one way. I believe in their team strength, but I just I, there's certain teams that could give them real challenges. And for me, that group is the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Suns. We already talked about the Suns. The Clippers, to me, defensively, I, I think I actually like a lot of what they can do this year more than last year. We'll see how healthy Beverly and Serge Ibaka are, but they have a lot of guys that can defend. They they can go in different directions. They can switch if they want. They could go with a drop with Zubats if they want. Ibaka can do that too if you want him to. And the challenge though, and we saw this in the in the second round last year, and to some extent in the first round, I don't think they have a particularly versatile offense. Like, I, And it's not undeniable. I mean, maybe if Kawhi takes a real step forward, you and I talked about that the last time we did a Tears podcast, that his playoff resume is a little spottier than some remember. But offensively, they kind of do what they do. And I don't see, like, it partially personnel-based, but just for various reasons, like, it's hard for them to reinvent that wheel. But I think that wheel will be all right. Yeah, they're so fascinating just because like when they get stuck on a matchup, it looks so bad. It does. And that's that's pretty normal, right? Like like the minute that you hit that matchup that looks bad for you, you're just like, oh no. And you know, they have these stretches where you're just like, man, that clipper offense just doesn't do anything. You know, late in games, close situations, you're like, it's just dribble, 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 shoot. And I don't know what what you can really expect of them given the personnel. Like you know, you know, you don't really want to run Kawhi PG pick and roll. Maybe that would open up something, but I really don't think that's like a comfortable fit with either. I mean, you, you know, can otherwise some, the Kawhi like, Zubat stuff has been okay. Kawhi Baka, yeah, yeah. Like you can do some of that, but even then, like Kawhi's a really good passer from the comfort when he's in his comfort spots, but he's yes. not a guy that you can get off balance and then, and then is going to punish you. Like he's better at manipulating the defense into what he wants and then being like, okay, now I'm going to hit you with this pass versus like just whatever the read is. Like if you do X, I'm doing Y. If you do Z, I'm doing A. Like he doesn't have every pass in the bag. He's gotten a lot. He's been a phenomenal passer the last two seasons and the assist rate improvement kind of reflects that. But I do think that he's not a top end playmaker and neither is PG, um, though I think PG is underrated in that aspect as well. You know, and defensively, look, if they face, it's not going to happen, but if they were to face the Denver Nuggets again, even without Jamal Murray, I would be concerned for them. They just, for as much as everybody loves it beats the Zubach, he is not the kind of guy that's going to shut down the types of top end centers. Now they're lucky that there's not a lot. There's two top end centers and that's it. Yeah. You know, in the playoffs, at least it's just Embiid and Jokic. You don't have to worry about anybody else. Like even like if, if everything got scrambled and they were faced up versus the Pacers, the Pacers wouldn't have enough firepower anyway, but they could probably handle Sabonis just because of the size. Right. But like if they do wind up versus Jokic, I can't put them in a list of invulnerability where I know like, well, look, even if they were to make the Western Conference finals, if the Nuggets somehow got there, if the Nuggets by some by hook or by crook found their way back to the Western Conference finals, the Clippers would still have to be favored because of Jamal Murray. But I would still be looking at that and being like, how are they going to slow down Joker? They just do not have the team for it. And so, you know, Joker is going to be the MVP, but the level to which he bent that series in half last year really stands out as as a match of vulnerability i think that's fair uh what did you have in team in tier two sixers uh i'm sorry clippers sixers and heat so you know the sixers i think their defense i think is is 
an interesting question mark of, you know, we talked about in the beginning of malleability versus overall strength. Like, are you so good at what you do? So the Sixers ice everything. Like, that's how they handle pick and rolls. They just ice everything, which if you're if you're dropping a big in the playoffs should be a nightmare for you. But I'm not really worried about it because their guards are so good. Like, you right. can back and beat off. Like, I've watched so much in B clips because I'm working on an MVP thing where Embiid just parks himself in the middle of that lane. And yet, like, Tybal, Danny Green, even Seth Curry, let ben, alone Ben, ben Simmons. Simmons. Yeah, like, they just, they'll get over the screen, and it doesn't even matter, or they'll fight through it, or they'll bust it. Like, there's just so many ways that they deter you that their athleticism, physicality, and attention to detail defensively makes it to where they can play a softer zone or a softer scheme than most of the teams in the league. These soft schemes are the things that I always target and go, you cannot do this in a postseason play. Like, this is where you die is when you leave Dame Lillard with an open 18-footer. You know, when you leave Jimmy Butler with the ability to get a short jumper at the nail. Like, these are the issues that you can run into. But the Sixers are so good that they're able to withstand it. For me, it's more of, I think the only reason they're not Tier 1 is more about the offense and my concern that, like, look, if they run into a team that's able to double effectively in the post where Embiid still struggles, he's better. I've watched a lot of clips, and he's much better than he used to be. The reality is he still has a 20% turnover rate versus a hard double, and that's really high. Um, If you force the double and you help off of Ben Simmons and make him a shooter and you watch the inside for the dunker for the cuts and then you try and make anybody else beat you off the dribble, you feel pretty good. Tobias Harris is going to have a game probably. But you're not really worried about Shake Milton, despite some really good numbers on pull-up jumpers. You're not worried about Seth Curry, and you're not worried about Danny Green. So for them, it really just comes down to, like, they have so much defense, and they're so well-built around Embiid. But if Embiid were better at handling doubles, I would be like, there's no solve. But I do think that if you come in and you're like, you know what, we're going to shoot a a ton of threes, and then we're going to attack you with doubles, and we're going to make you hit contested shots off the dribble— that's where I think they can get bogged down. They're comfortable winning slug fights, but if they're fighting the volume game, that's what I, when I worry about it for them. Yeah, the way I would kind of distill it for the Sixers is that they have really good first punches, but I worry about their counters. And generally speaking in the playoffs, you're going to need a counter punch on each end of the floor. Like you're going to be able to do something different. And the Sixers also don't have the ability, partially because Embiid is their best player and partially just due to the other guys they have, they can't really go to a switching scheme because those groups, this is the under kind of the, the part about Draymond Green that a lot of teams got wrong when they tried to build teams like the Warriors is you still need rim protection. Like you need, if you're going to that switching thing, you still need guys that can help things they can so that if you get by the first line defense and the Sixers are better at preventing teams by the first line of defense at least conceptually like that's part of what you were talking about with their guards in ice coverages and everything else and so you have that and offensively especially in the half court they just don't have that many other guys that can like create separation dribble and make a good pass like it's just not especially against playoff level competition the top five teams in the league and so what they do well absolutely could work like maybe we're a few years out of lamenting the death of the NBA big man, maybe it's just like, oh, it was only the death of it until we got better ones. And that's entirely possible. I will acknowledge that possibility. But their system offensively to me isn't as malleable, isn't as dangerous as what the Jokic-centric ones does, partially because of how he spaced the floor, but more because of how he functions as a distributor. The ecosystem, um, Adam Morris and I did a podcast talking about this a lot very recently, and the Sixers just aren't the same thing. Like their, their ecosystem is less healthy. Now it could still work. It's just less healthy. Right. Uh, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, and then finally I've got the heat on here. 
you know, you got Heat tier one. I think that they've proven they're pretty malleable. I just I worry about their offense a lot. Yeah, me too. That that's the thing. Is like they're number three in the last fifteen games, which is great. Um it just the big thing is that in the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference semifinals last year, this is my favorite stat from the playoffs last year, Danny. Um, of all players to play in the Eastern Conference semifinals, despite the Heat only playing five games versus the Bucks, Jay Crowder hit the most threes of any player, not yeah, per and, game, overall. And Kelly Olynyk like, was only in fifty yeah. minutes, but he changed the series in those fifty minutes, and they don't have a yeah, Kelly Olynyk like, anymore. Yeah, like a plus twenty-five, right? And those guys aren't there. Um, they got Trevor Ariza, right? It's just that we tend to look at these things and just be like, oh, but you know, Bam and Jimmy, and I'm like, yeah, for sure, you know. But I, I think. If you don't have those, if you can't punish the defense with where they don't apply pressure, when they take pressure off of a point to focus it elsewhere, if you can't punish them there, I think you're in trouble. And Ariza is like 32% on the season. Now, I wouldn't shock me if, if Ariza like leads the Eastern Conference first round of all play or the first round of playoffs with all players with threes. Like that's just the Bucks luck. Like that's just how it goes for Milwaukee. But when they get to the second round, I think that's when it gets tough. The other thing is just like, you know, when they face a series where they've got to have a guy putting up 35 every single night or at least 28 every single night, Butler's not made for it. Jimmy Butler is phenomenal in being able to have one game where you absolutely need him to have a huge game and dominate. He lives for those moments. He's great in those. But if you look back and you actually track, he very rarely has back-to-back big performances. He just doesn't. Like he, and, he that's, hits you and that's more. why Dragic was so important last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so unless Dragic goes back to bubble form, which I don't think he will, I have questions about it. like the defensive side. I think you, you just you have to trust Spo. Like you just have to say he's going to find the, the answers. They built the roster to be able to do that. They have enough options. So I think um, I think defensively they're there. I think you're right that they're a one way team in terms of their malleability in that they're matchup proof defensively, but offensively they're a little bit more vulnerable. They're, yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, did you have the Bucks in your first two tiers? I did not. Uh, I have them in tier three with yeah. the Nets actually. So I have I have the Bucks uh, in tier in tier two, and I wouldn't have before PJ Tucker. And mm. it's not like. Budenholzer has done everything since they got him to think like, oh yeah, this is this is what he's going to do. You know, it's going to be they're going to be an amoeba. They're going to adapt based on who they're playing and everything else. Like, I I don't necessarily think that, but they do have options now, which I think is good. And having Drew Holiday as a perimeter defender, even though they're going to miss a lot of the the absences, and I I'm scared to death of their bench. I mean, that has been you know Portis. As much as the like the numbers, particularly when he and Giannis played together, worked out, they're facing a different level of opposition, a different level of scouting. I think that's going to be a problem. The thinness of their perim- of their perimeter rotation is something that scares me a lot with them. So I I guess I just re- I think they have conceptual defensive versatility and also like what they do well. It's not going to work against everybody. But it works against a lot of teams, including potentially the Heat this year. We'll have to see. Um, but. I felt queasy about having them in two, so you having them in three, I'm like, yeah, I could be there. Be there. See, I'm I'm queasy about having them in three, um, and, and not having them in four. Yeah, because like, look, it, it's it's very easy in these things to get caught up. You have to try and figure out how if you're just X amount of of a good team. Like, if you're just like, well, they're a good team. Like, they're still a good team. Does that make you even if you're if your matchup vulnerable? Does that still make you invulnerable to lesser teams? The matchup advantage, like that's the kind of the question you have to balance here, which is what makes yeah. it difficult, right? Like, there there could be teams that can have a huge matchup advantage on you that you will still just beat down 
because guess what? Like you're just more talented than them. Like you just have better players. You're, like, like to me, that's what that's why a Philly tier three is. I think they fit that description. You can be more optimistic, but that's why they couldn't be lower than that for me. Right. And so with the Bucks, it's kind of the same deal. Where it's like, well, look, you know, they they do have Giannis and they do have Drew and they do have Chris. Um, and they have, and Lopez is still good at what he does to, uh, in large part. He's not as good as he was two years ago, but he's still good in large part. And they do have Tucker, um, and they have guys that can hit shots. But there's that part of me that's still just like they always seem to find themselves, and they're doing it again versus this Heat team. Like this is a great test for them. Yeah, okay, you've worked all year on improving your versatility, on doing different stuff, on you switch versus the Clippers, and you've tried out zone and you've implemented these things. One thing that's a big difference, and I love the way that Eric Nem has covered this over at The Athletic about the Bucks, is there's such a big difference between being able to do different things and being able to do different things well. like And, and knowing what you want to do and doing it immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the Bucks, I think, are very good at, like, they've gotten better at, at having more in the bag. Like, they can switch. They are playing Giannis at five. They are more comfortable with, with making adjustments. They can hedge and blitz and do, like, they can vary it up a lot more than they used to be able to, but they're not as good at zone they're not as good at other things that you might need versus x opponent and so like switching everything is not a fix-all like it used to be especially over the course of a series because if you come out of the gate switching everything if the team has any front court weapon whatsoever they're just like we're just gonna slip everything like if you're gonna switch this stuff with us we're you know that's what the rockets found like all right we're just gonna slip capella you know if you try this we're we're just going to the rim every single time because that's what the warriors did to them and so like there are always these counters to your counters that's kind of the question a lot of this just comes back to bud is like do you trust him to find the right adjustment and do you trust him to find the adjustment to the adjustment yeah like if you if you come out in the series versus miami and you're like we can switch now and miami's like okay um we're slipping bam to the basket every single time all right you're gonna kind of go back <laughs> you know, I guess, or like you know, running and, fake dhos which the bucks haven't dealt with mm-hmm. nearly as much in a switching team like there are a bunch of different things that teams and especially incidentally a team that switches themselves will probably be able to to deal with right. i'm actually very freaked out as well about their offense like that was yeah. the what they grant and and i love drew holiday as an overall player but he, I don't think of him as the like break glass in case emergency. Oh, he's going to create good shots for himself and others. I think he can, but also he is their he's their guard weapon. And so if team has a good perimeter defender, can slow him down a little bit. And Drew's very strong. He can he can handle it in certain circumstances. But if the wall works against Giannis, I don't think that Drew is a strong enough fallback against like top five teams that I feel great about it. And there, yeah, there are a lot of things that make me a little bit, a little bit uncertain. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. I don't know if you have a response to that. So uh, a lot of this is too, is I agree with you on both those points. Like a lot of this is just like, um, if Chris Middleton has a bad series, how screwed are you? Like right. that's, he, you know, and his, like, his struggles in round two last year, what kind of fell under the radar because of everything else that happened. Right. If Anthony Davis has a rough series, the Lakers are going to be fine. If, um, if Devin Booker has a rough series, the, the Suns, I think, can figure it out. They have enough weapons. They can figure it out. You know, if Paul George has a rough series, the Clippers can get by. Like, he's had rough series before. And I think they can get by. Um, if Kawhi has a rough series, I think they can get by. I think they have, depending on the matchup. But, like, with the Bucks, if Chris Middleton has a bad has a bad series, like, what happens to that offense? If they build a wall and, and Middleton has a bad series, I just don't know what happens to them. Because then that's, like, your top two. Like, that's a lot of it is... If Giannis were not as – it's so hard to say he's solvable because I don't think that every team has the capacity to solve him. Like, But some do. 
Well, and this is a good question. Like, this is part of it. Is this? I think it's fascinating that I have in my tier three are two teams, and it's the Bucks and the Nets, and they're likely to meet in the second round because I have no idea what the Nets are going to do versus Giannis. If they face each, if 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 the Bucks beat the Heat, I mean, I'm going to be looking at at Eastern Conference Bucks futures adding on to my my position a lot more um, because. I, I just don't know how they're going to build a wall versus Giannis. You know, some teams can do it. I don't know that the Nets can. And that's why I think it's so interesting. It's like the Bucks' athleticism versus the Nets' skill players is such a, a crazy matchup. I hope we get to see it, um, even though I'm still concerned about – I just did my Eastern Conference uh, betting preview for Action Network, and I said that Bucks' heat is a no bet for me. Like, I'm not going near it. I'm just like, nope. Like everyone's talked themselves into no, the Bucks are different this year, and I'm like, I gotta see it. I'm not getting in. I'm I'm gonna wait and see. Yeah, but I am really interested in that in that Nets Bucks series if it gets there. Nets Bucks is my most anticipated series of any potential one in the entire playoffs, and it and especially considering the Nets are kind of a basketball abstraction at this point because their best players haven't really played that much together. My theory at the moment, which I reserve the right to change based on what we see over the next two weeks, is that Milwaukee will score on them well, but you have to score so well on the Nets to win because their offense is ridiculous. And I, I think that it could be kind of a a bizarro Nuggets Blazers shootout with different personnel just because the idea of, oh, okay, well, neither side's going to stop the other. Who's going to make it? And I'm going to I think I actually trust the Nets in that sort of a space because they've had more time there and their players, their individually and collectively to some to some extent. But yeah, that's really interesting. Um, My tier three, I called it less versatile but less matchup dependent. So this is kind of the idea we were talking about before of like teams that they can't do as many different things, but they're good enough at what they do that I don't I I have them above everyone else. And so for me, the Sixers we already talked about at length, the Nuggets and the Jazz are here, and I think the Jazz are a good articulation of this where. Yes, their defensive scheme can't really do a ton different than than what they do, and it works far better in the regular season than it does in the playoffs. But it's still pretty good, and their offense needs everybody healthy. It needs to generate that churn, but they'll handle their business against those opponents. We'll see if they actually face them. I mean, they could potentially get the Lakers in the first round, and oh boy. Um, So like them, and I, I think of the Nuggets without Jamal Murray sort of in a similar boat where it's like, you do what you do well, and that might work. That might be good enough, depending on who you're facing and everything else. But if the other team has kind of other things or they can force you into into challenge spots, could be a problem. Yeah, it's, it, the Nuggets are funny. So I have a huge tier four. Um, it's five teams. And it's Knicks, the Mavericks, the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Jazz. Um, I have the Jazz in tier four. Okay. And for me, I'm just like, you're going to have to show me. And I, and the Jazz fan, the not just the Jazz fans, the Jazz fans and the, and the analysts that work, that cover the team hate this. And I understand that. And I'm... I've listened and read the work that they've done on how like, no, no, like you don't understand. Like the data says that Rudy's much better. I get it. I really, I do. I get it. I just, you're gonna have to show me like, you're gonna have to show me if it's Steph Curry that you can figure out, like you might be able to get past the warriors just by offense, right? Their defense is really great. But if you just volume three and you're able to match Curry because they don't have enough firepower behind Steph, that might be good enough, but I'm still going to be concerned about, stuff versus that scheme 
I don't know what how you're going to scheme that. I don't. I don't know what you're going to do. Are you going to try and blitz with Rudy? Because I feel like Steph's going to get to the edge. If Are you going to switch? Because I just feel like Steph's rising up and firing over your seven-foot de- defensive player of the year. Like, I'm just not well, convinced and, yet. And, and the, the Jazz just don't have that many above-average defenders. Yeah. And um, the Jazz also, I think, when you look at their performance offensively this is the same kind of deal with the bucks right where it's like in the regular season all their guys hit threes and they were this incredible shooting team and it was just like this avalanche of threes and then things got to happen in the playoffs and it was like oh this this doesn't look the same and i have a little bit of the the same concern with the jazz i think you can trust mike conley and bogdanovich and ingles more right and you should they're the number one team in the west but in the league but again i want to see it like i think the jazz have the most opportunity to move up like the jazz could honestly wind up being like tier two for me you know like if they come out especially in that first round no matter who they face um no no matter who they face (laughs) if they face the grizzlies or spurs we're gonna be like ah good for you for getting an easy draw um but if they don't face the grizzlies or the spurs then if they come out and they win that series it's like okay like you've proven that you can handle this ironically i think the lakers are a pretty decent matchup for them just because i'm not worried about shooting off the dribble as much of the lakers i'm worried about physicality and i feel like utah can match that um but man it's i have to see it before it gets there the nuggets honestly you know def- it's ironic in that i had to drop them because offensively they were much more limited like that, that's my fear with the blazers yeah. series yeah. i i have the blazers winning that series interesting and the reason is i just don't think that the nuggets have enough firepower um the offensive rating has been good since Murray went down because I think you put Nikola Jokic in a regular season setting with literally anyone with a pulse, especially if you put him with MPJ and anyone with a pulse, then it's going to be good. But I just don't think they're going to be able to match buckets with what, what Portland's going to bring to the table. Um, they've been so much better defensively because they've had certain guys out. Like Jamal Murray has worked himself into being a capable defender that works really hard. That's not a complete negative, but it's still like he's not good. He's not like, oh, wow, you know who's really sneaky? he good Jamal Murray it's like oh no like Murray battles and that's all you can really ask for for a guy that gives you that much offensively Will Barton's been out and that's helped their defense but it's hurt their offense like they have Austin Rivers Faku Campazzo they are likely to get PJ Dozier back by maybe the middle to end of the first round if they survive that long um and those guys can defend at a high level but they can't score at a high level and so it's just it's it's really tough I think with for them offensively which is ironic because it used to be like defensively you could really find guys that would punish them if you were if you were basically donovan mitchell and you had the ability to punish their at the level pick and roll coverage and reverse the ball they just can't get there in time it's better since they got gordon that's helped a lot in terms of the weak side contain but that is still kind of an issue so the, the nuggets problems have gone from a defensive one to an offensive one now and that's kind of a bummer for them um I gotta be honest with you. I don't know what to make of the Mavericks. I just I don't I'm, know what to I'm make the same. of them. Um, I put them here. I put them in this fourth tier because I'm like, okay, you know, look, um, bad defense, but they're theoretically they match up better than they did last year, like in a hypothetical sense, like with Dwight Powell and Richardson, and with how Dorian Finney-Smith has played, like they match up better defensively, but they're not as good offensively, so they're not like top end at what they do but they still have luca it's like this really complicated formula and honestly like i went in thinking that i was gonna like i started off hesitant about making a clippers uh mavericks early prediction and i thought that once i dove into the the real the the film and the data that i I would come out with like a concrete okay no i feel much better about the clippers they're gonna handle this 
I'm more unsure. It's not that I feel closer to ticking the Mavericks. I'm just like, man, I don't know what to do with this series. And I think that that says a, a lot about both teams. But the Mavericks in particular, I think that they can get hurt by a matchup, but they can also survive in certain senses. So I've got Knicks, Mavericks, Nuggets, Warriors, and Jazz in this big fourth tier. On the Mavericks front, I mean, what is sticking with me is the challenge that they have some good defenders, but they aren't defensively versatile. And some of the ways that you can attack them when the Mavericks are on defense aren't going to cause the opponent problems on offense. So like if let's say the Clippers go small or go five out in some variety, Moxie Kleba would and and Dorian Finney-Smith would have a lot to do in those circumstances. I don't think they're quite up to it. I mean, I love Moxie Kleba, but he hasn't been that guy this year. And Finney-Smith, he's more of a a man-to-man, not a little bit, not, not big enough to be that real deterrent as a help defender. Also, especially in a series against Clippers, you can't have him help because he's going to be guarding somebody you can shoot. And the counter in many of those circumstances, if like, let's say they were playing against the Nuggets or playing against the Sixers would be, okay, well then we'll just have our all-star big man, our all-NBA big man, beat the ever-loving crap out of you on the other end. Porzingis isn't that guy. Like he's he's not going to be able to do that. So if Mar- if Marcus Morris or Nikola Batum or Serge Ibaka is guarding him, then you kind of get some of the benefits, but you don't get the costs. And that concerns me about the, the Mavericks. The other thing is as great as Luka has been, and he had some real bright moments in that series last year they don't have any other counters because they only have a couple other guys that can handle the ball i mean and jalen brunson depending on how Ty Lu manages Beverly's minutes, I think Beverly's going to be limited, but playing Beverly as often as you can when Jalen Brunson is on the floor would be fascinating because just trying to slow him down. And Brunson is an unbelievable d- tough shot maker, but I don't expect that to get to persist for anybody. And I like Brunson a lot. I love the film on him when I watched those. was actually very good. But you make it as hard as you can. And I mean, Beverly can also do some work on Luka. Luka is a lot bigger than he is. And I think the Clippers will have some trouble against variable threat teams. Like, I hope we get to see Clippers Suns at some point, just because it'd be a really, whether it's this year or next year, because I think that the concept of those two teams when the Suns are on offense and the Clippers are on defense is fascinating. But there aren't that many teams like that. There aren't that many versatile threats. And so for the Mavericks, I think that just, it makes them easy to defend if you have kind of basic personnel and and a lot of the teams in the West do. Yeah, um, I agree on that. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll go. My, my tier four was I called it if things break right. And okay. Mavericks are at the top of that tier. Uh, Warriors, Blazers, Celtics, Knicks, and Hawks. Gotcha. And so for all of yeah. them, it's like I don't expect them to win a series, but there are certain matchups where they have something to exploit. I mean, the Knicks rim protection has been excellent. Their offense has been better overall. Maybe the Hawks stuff works. I'm still very skeptical of it. Um, and then the Celtics, I mean, if if, Jim, if Jalen Brown was healthy, then they would be a different thing. But if Jalen Brown was healthy, they wouldn't be the seventh seed. So it's, well, maybe not. Um, so like with the Celtics, it's just like, okay, if they do what they do, they can make some noise. Maybe they can pull some stuff. I'm ignoring their, their opponent, who I think is stronger than that. But so with all those teams, it's the same basic story of like, there is a theory of the case. It's just that I might not find that theory persuasive, depending on who they play. It's funny. I have the Knicks in tier four. Um, and the biggest reason is I'm just like, if they get B, it's just because the team is better than them like i expect them to lose either in the first or second round because the other team's better but it's mostly i'm just like there's not really a thing you can pressure point with them i mean the biggest thing is just like oh if you start hitting threes the way no team has this season versus them <laughs> like every team should should have better shooting marks versus them but nobody does if you start doing that then yeah you're better and if they start you know scoring worse than obviously but like they're not they don't come in with like a high-powered offense even though they've been good over
over the last couple of weeks. They're just basically like, yeah, we're going to out hustle you. Julius Randle's going to do some stuff. RJ Barrett's going to do some stuff and we're going to play great defense. Like it's a very simplest thing, but they're also like they're athletic and big all over. They don't have size disadvantages. They don't have speed disadvantages. Like they're just kind of who they are. And I think that that's, um, that's why I think it's, it, they're kind of the stodgy rock in the way of things. Um, my tier five is Blazers, Hawks, and Celtics. For me, this the Celtics is just like, they just don't have enough firepower, right? Like, if they just don't open, if, even if they play great defense, if they play, if they run up against a team where it's just like that team's just bombing and just is hitting you from all angles, I don't trust the front court. I don't trust whoever Kemp is going to have to guard. Uh, losing Jalen means that one of your defenders is going to be gone in that sense, too. Like, there's just too many things you have to cover. Like, it's just. They just don't have enough, and that's been apparent for the last couple of months. Um, you know, the Blazers are interesting because I, I might move the Blazers up too, um, depending on how the first round goes. A good opening theory is like it used to be like if you trap Dame, you live with what CJ gives you, you stay home on the shooters, and you can make anybody else beat you, make Nurkic and, and Covington whoever beat you. Powell kind of changes that. He does. Having a third playmaker does kind of change what the, what they're able to do, especially because. I noticed this. Um, they're running less pick and roll for Dame. They don't run a lot, but he's ISOing more. And when he does run pick and roll, he's rejecting the screen a lot more. And what that means is like your attempts to trap him wind up way too often with your primary defender having to make a recovery move while he's already going to the rack and he's been torching it. So that combined with like Powell, I think that offensively they have a lot more that they can bring to the table. I think defensive is where I'm. I'm kind. Of, I look at the last this performance when they got hot and finished the season. That's where I kind of look at that and go like, I don't think this is real. I don't believe this is the real defense. I don't think that they're this. I still think that they're able to be overwhelmed by more athleticism. I think they're able to be overwhelmed by superior shooting. I think they're able to be overwhelmed by superior skills, players, and athleticism. So. Um, I still have to have them low, but I think the Blazers could wind up being tier four, tier three after the first round, depending on if they can handle the Nuggets, which, again, I'm picking them to do so. So I'm kind of I'm starting them here and expecting them to move up. Um, The Hawks are, I think, interesting just with Trey, right? Like we don't know what to expect from him in the playoff environment, but we kind of think he's going to be a liability in some senses. Yep. And then Capella. You know, he 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 can really hurt certain matchups, but on the other end, he can get hurt just the same. And then a lot of their wings are kind of the same guys. Like the fact that DeAndre Hunter is such an important player for them, I think kind of represents like how many issues they have. So that's where I'm at on those three. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat on all of them. And my final tier, I called it faint chance. Um, Grizzlies, Spurs, Wizards, Pacers, Hornets would have been here. Rest in good night, sweet princes. You're out. Um, and for all of them, it's just like there isn't really a theory of for them to win a best of seven against the teams that they could potentially be facing like as much as i've enjoyed watching a lot of those teams this year and when they've been at their best especially the pacers but they're they're straight up not i mean they they, i mean you could argue that they were on tuesday but like they don't have tj they don't have miles turner they don't have a lot of these other things and so for them i just i just don't see it in the same way i'd love to be wrong i love for teams to define my expectations but Memphis can do a lot of things. They just never do it well for multiple possessions in a row. Right. Like that's right. their that's their big problem. Or at then, least multiple quarters at the best. I had such high hopes for the for the Hornets. Um they they profile very well as a team that can switch. They play a lot of zone. They've had so much success. Like Cody Zeller is a really underrated big man. Like everyone thinks it's ridiculous to say it. And I'm like, time and time again, he does a very good job on what on what his assignments are. 
Um, they just needed somebody, and like really, they just the, the way that they melted down. I think is a you can blame Borrego, but you also have to blame Rosier and Devontae Graham for just like I can't expect that from Lamelo. He's not ready. He's just not there yet. But those like Rosier in particular has been in big playoff games before, and he needed to be the guy, and he wasn't able to be anything. And, and once they got hit in the mouth in that first quarter, it was just over. So disappointed in them. I thought that they had a real capacity to be able to match up in a lot of different ways. I thought they were going to be pesky, and they just went out with such a whimper. So, but hey, one, two, three, Cancun. Um, Wizards, I think, are very one dimensional. Like the Wizards do what they do, and you can beat them in any number of like the Wizards. I think are maybe maybe at the bottom of this list. I think that they are the most vulnerable in terms of the matchups and the different ways you can hurt them you can beat the wizards in a lot of different ways yeah you yeah, can yeah. anything else to kind of go through i mean there's we're, I, we're going to be reevaluating and thinking about these teams and everything for the next two months but it's going to be it's going to be awesome it's going to be a it should be a great playoff i'm excited i'm excited for teams to prove me wrong um i'm excited for teams to prove me right um, that's what the playoffs are about is making these adjustments and trying to figure them out. And it's a lot on the coaches. It's a lot on the players, but it should be a really fun one. I look forward to doing this again with you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at the Action Network. And if you don't somehow already, you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. and love having him on, love doing these pods and really even more excited. And I was already plenty excited for the playoffs to start in full on Saturday. And it's going to be great. And if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can also help people find it by word of mouth, just social media, wherever to say, hey, you might like this. And the most important thing at the moment that you can do for the show is subscribing, downloading every episode. I think that really helps. It helps me because the downloads and everything count, but also it helps you because Real GM Radio will never come out on a specific day. It just pops in when I have time, when my guests have time. And that's always going to be the case. The, the show is never going to be any different than that. So that's a great way to help. You can also check out my other stuff. Um, Nate Duncan and I are still doing Dunked On, Dunked On Prime. And we're doing the, let's call it the public NBA cast where the thing is not on, on League Pass. We love doing it on League Pass, but there are no league, more League Pass games. So the current technology we're primarily using is hot mic which is this really cool thing where it can detect the volume levels on your tv and it can basically auto sync our commentary with the game so you don't have to worry about the whole irritating process that you had to go through previously and that's part of why we're working with them is it's a solve of a frustrating problem and so that's really exciting also doing chats on locker room and dunked on total access and everything else i will note that availability might be a little bit different than normal this time of year because i actually um actually broke my collarbone last weekend and i'm having surgery on it on thursday i'm doing fine i'm not in any pain but they're worried about long-term complications so they thought surgery was the best approach i listened to my doctors and uh so depending on how i feel there might be some delays in terms of at least my involvement in the stuff with nate hoping to be back as soon as possible hoping you know especially for the first full day of playoffs on saturday but i'm going to listen to my body so if anything seems different it's because of that and nate has a fill-in for dunked on for me on thursday and then we'll have to see beyond that but i'm doing well don't need to worry about it um but it is going to take me you know probably take a little bit of time to recover we'll have to see um if you have any feedback on the show good bad or indifferent daniel nba at gmail.com is the way to get it to me if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it that is a promise and Real Jam Radio, all things go as expected. We'll be back in full force next week. I don't know the time. I do have a guest in mind, and we'll, and we'll see if that actually works out. I really hope that it does. But that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.